Matthew chapter 12. It's where we'll be today. Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. And we are going to Matthew chapter 12 because Jesus references the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, the sign of Jonah. We've just wrapped up Jonah chapter 4 last week. And in the book of Jonah, Jonah reminds us that to be saved by God is to receive the job, we all get in on the job that God has for us, of being a blessing for all nations. This was the job that was assigned to Israel and which they largely failed in, except for the fact they got us to Jesus, uh, who allows us to be also a part of God's people and to get in on being the blessing that God intends us to be. Philip Carey writes this about the Bible. In the Bible, the elect, those who are chosen by God, are always chosen for the blessing of others. This is the lesson of Jonah. It would make no sense in the logic of biblical redemption for chosen people to be chosen for their own glory and their own aggrandizement. In other words, it's not about us, it's about God. And yet... In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, who have fallen into this very trap. The trap of thinking that the purposes of God are primarily about them and not about God and the others that God intends to save. They've fallen into the trap of Jonah. The trap of making it all about themselves. And in Matthew 23, verse 5, Jesus says of these scribes and Pharisees, they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater... Then Jonah is here. Would you pray with me? Father, help us through your Spirit's presence and divine enablement to hear from heaven this morning. And help us not just to be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it also. In Jesus' name, amen. Though the scribes and Pharisees do not doubt the Scriptures, they have misread them, making God's Word about them. As Paul writes, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, in other words, the Old Testament, a veil lies over their heart, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Encountered in Christ, beholding Christ, requires that God remove the veil from our eyes in order that we could behold Him. 
When we come to this text, Jesus has just healed a man's withered hand on the Sabbath without even touching him. He just speaks and his hand is healed. And then in verse 22 of chapter 12, he heals a demon-possessed man. And yet the scribes and the Pharisees, after seeing two signs, seek yet another sign. This is not an innocent request for just more evidence and more information. In Luke eleven sixteen, we see that the scribes and Pharisees were actually tempting Jesus. They were asking for a sign to test Jesus. It was a sign for the sake of a show rather than simply the confirmation of His identity. It was a sign for the sake of show, not for the sake of submission to God and His Lordship. You see, seeking signs is a convenient cover for subversion. We can always say, Jesus, if you just give me one more sign, then I'll obey. If you just fix this one little additional problem in my life, then I'll surrender. God, if you would just tidy up my finances a little bit more, then I'll get serious about following your lordship. God, if you just save my daughter or my son or fix my child's life or take away this cancer, if you just do this one more thing for me, then I'll surrender to you. Seeking signs is convenient cover for a heart that wants to subvert the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scribes and the Pharisees don't like how Jesus challenges their assumptions and their authority. They wanted a Messiah to come down and to praise them and even to thank them for how good they had done at keeping the law. Indeed, adding another 623 laws to the law just to demonstrate that they were good law-keeping law keepers. But Jesus challenges and confronts their authority. He tells them if one fails in the law just one time and one point, he's guilty of the violation of the whole law. You see, when Jesus challenges our authority, we've got four options. We can surrender to Him. We can deny the basis of His authority. We can say, well, the Scripture's just a joke. Jesus really isn't the Messiah. He doesn't have the authority that He proclaims to have. We can recognize but reject His authority. Or finally, we can do what the Pharisees do here. We can say we just need a little more time. We just need a little more evidence. But what Jesus says is continuing to seek evidence after we've been given all the evidence we need is the exact same as just recognizing His authority and rejecting it in the first place. In this passage, Jesus says asking for more evidence is as dangerous as rejecting Him altogether, leading to our condemnation in the judgment. Verse 41. So how is it that we find the rest for our souls that God promises us through Jesus at the end of chapter 11? And how is it that we avoid the judgment that comes to those who are around the things of Jesus but never surrender to Jesus? First, we must not seek more signs of Christ's authority and identity. And second, we must behold Christ, the true sign who is greater than Jonah. First, we must not seek more signs of Christ's authority and His identity. His identity being the Son of God and God the Son, God incarnate in the flesh. Now that Jesus has come in fulfillment of the Scriptures, seeking signs is a sign that there's something wrong. And this is exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees say. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. 
The word sign occurs four times in verses 38 and 39. Matthew wants us to focus on this pervasive need for just a little more evidence. A sign is a mark or a token or a miracle or a wonder by which God authenticates a message or a messenger. Jesus, I I just need one more miracle, then I'll believe. It's really all about you, and it's really all about not me, but your mission. So often we wrap our sign-seeking in intellectual language. I just need more evidence. But Jesus tells us here that the seeking of another sign is not an issue of the lack of information or evidence, but it is the lack of a heart for God. It's not a head issue, it's a heart issue. It's a matter of our craving, of our desire in verse 39. They crave a sign. To crave means to clamor for something. As Philip Carey writes, Jesus immediately diagnoses this generation's demand for a sign as a form of unbelief. You see, church, when we settle into a pattern of self-justifying sign-seeking, we risk joining an evil and adulterous generation. Do you see that? He doesn't say you are the evil and adulterous generation, only the scribes and Pharisees. It's an open-ended generation. It is an evil and adulterous generation, which is, unfortunately, it's open to any of us who simply say to Jesus, I I read you in the Word, I see that you are real in the Word, the Spirit is beginning to convict me of your presence through His Word, but I need more time, I need more signs, I need more evidence, and we keep giving Jesus the Heisman, we keep pushing Him off to tomorrow, and if we continue to put off Jesus till tomorrow, there comes a point at which we join an evil and adulterous generation. Their act was evil because the demand for another sign showed their failure, according to Leon Morris, showed their failure to trust God and their readiness to try to impose on Him a miraculous act of their own choosing. In other words, we get to set the parameters with God. God, you do what I ask you to do, and then I'll be convinced. Rather than let God be God and show us Himself in the way that God chooses to show Himself to us. They wanted to pick the signs where they could, they should have just been content with faithful service, but instead they wanted to pick the signs that suited themselves. And this generation isn't just scribes and Pharisees, it's every man and woman who encounters the Word of God. And the clear fulfillment of the Word of God in Christ is never enough. Morris continues, people who serve God in faithfulness, may indeed see see signs. This is not to say that the church will not go in power and see God do great things. Indeed, that He will not perform miracles. To be sure, God will do that as we go in Jesus' name. But if we have to have that happen, then we've undermined the authority of God's Word and we have said that what we've already been given is not enough. Is Jesus enough for you this morning? This is precisely what makes us evil and adulterous. We are to forsake all others and to cleave to this one, Philip Carey says. Yet we would rather Jesus give us something else, some miracle or maybe some dramatic change in our lives or circumstances as a testimony that He is present among us. We don't want to be stuck with nothing to show for ourselves but just Jesus. God help us. 
Is Jesus enough for you? Sign-seeking is adulterous because we're saying that what Jesus has done and who He is is not enough. The scribes and the Pharisees are acting like a wife who tells her husband that whatever he does is never enough. It's not enough just to be present with him. There must be something more, some task to be tended to. The honeydew list is expanding and growing all the time. And just to be together, just to be physically present with one another is never enough. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees are like with Jesus. Jesus, give us something more. Give us something more. How is it that the scribes and Pharisees and most... The the scribes and the Pharisees, by the way, are some of the most incredible do-gooders in the history of the world. They did did some really good stuff. How is it that some of the best do-gooders in the world could be part of the evil and adulterous generation? It's because there's no greater sin than the sin of unbelief in the Son of God. There's no greater sin than the sin of unbelief in the Son of God. It is that sin which consigns us to eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. It's a greater sin than the sins being perpetuated at the hands of ISIS in the Middle East even right now. To hear the Word of God to have the opportunity to believe on the Son of God and to reject the Son of God is the greatest sin in the Bible. The author of Hebrews says it this way, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? Hebrews 10, 28 and 29. To hear about the Son of God, to be around the things of God, and to reject the authority of the Son is like trampling Jesus Christ underfoot. Jesus says the skeptical sign seekers have received all the signs that they need. The issue is not their head, it is their heart. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the rich man... The rich man who's been consigned to an eternity in hell because he neglected the poor man at his gate. He tells that rich man that his brothers will not believe in him even if they see a man raised from the dead if they won't trust Jesus on the basis of the Scriptures. We've been given through God's Word all that we need. Going forward, Jesus tells us no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet in verse 39. Signs are not to be selfishly demanded from God. He graciously gives signs. And God has given His Son as the sign of Jonah. Jesus is the sign to which all other signs point. Jesus is the miraculous sign sent from God in heaven. Don't miss Jesus. He is the sign. If you are more interested in displays of God's power than in knowing the person of God in Christ the Son, you've missed the point. You were made North Roanoke Baptist Church. We were made North Roanoke Baptist Church. People were made North Roanoke Baptist Church to know God, to enjoy God, and to glorify God through Christ the Son. Jesus is the sign. So what must we do if we find ourselves never contented in our Christian walk, always looking for something more, always looking for the next thing, always looking for more miraculous confirmations of God's reality rather than resting in Jesus. 
resting in the Christ who has already come for us. Secondly, the antidote to sign-seeking. The opposite of sign-seeking is beholding. We're supposed to look for something, but the one we're supposed to look for is Jesus Himself. We must behold Christ, the true sign, who is greater than Jonah. We must behold Christ, the true sign, who is greater than Jonah. As a pastor, I often hear this objection to faith in Christ when I'm out and about in a grocery store or at a gas station or wherever it is that I encounter lost people. It is not that infrequent that I will say, you know, I'm a pastor at North Roanoke. I'd love to have you come join us at North Roanoke Baptist Church. And I will often hear this. Do you really believe Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days? <clears throat> yes, yes, I, I do, actually. Uh, I believe the biblical story of Jonah, and so did Jesus, who was in the earth for three days and emerged victorious on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave forever, who will trust in him. I don't know why it is they begin with Jonah and not with Jesus. It's like they're afraid of attacking Jesus because it might be true, but, so we'll just attack Jonah. But Jesus says, the sign of Jonah points to the greater prophet, Jesus, who will be raised up on the third day. By mentioning the sign of Jonah, Jesus reminds us that the Bible, right? Because Jonah is a biblical story. He reminds us that the Bible, rightly understood, leads us to expect, recognize, and trust in Jesus. If you were reading the Old Testament properly... If you were reading it through the lenses of which God intends you to read them through, you should have been looking for Jesus the entire time. Jesus is not just any Judean Jesus. He's the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah, Savior, and Creator of the world. He is the priest who is greater than the temple, verse 6 of chapter 12. He is the prophet who's greater than the greatest prophets, verse 41 of chapter 12. And He is the king who's greater than the greatest of the Old Testament kings, verse 42 of chapter 12. That's a longer sermon, but Jesus shows us in chapter 12 that He's greater than the temple, He's greater than the prophets, and He is greater than the greatest kings of the Old Testament. All of those were pointing us like signs to the One who is the heaven-sent sign, Jesus, the Son of God. Jonah points like a sign towards Christ, but why is Jesus specifically the sign? He's the one, like Jonah, Jesus that is, is the one like Jonah, who was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Now, we know that he was crucified on a Friday and raised on a Sunday, but this is the Hebrew reckoning of time, so there's not a, a lack of correspondence here between the days and nights and between the length of time that Jesus was crucified in the tomb and raised but he was three days like Jonah in the great, as Jonah was in the great fish. But it is more than just their shared time in the tomb that is an analogy between Jonah and Jesus. It is being thrown to certain death by pagans who wish to be held innocent of their blood. It is life after death because God raised them up from the deep. And it is mission after death. Because Jesus is the sign of Jonah. Jesus is the sign of Jonah, rather, because he is a sign in the same way Jonah is a sign. Jonah offered, get this, Jonah offered Nineveh 
no sign but himself. He just showed up. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't turn a rod into a snake and a snake back into a rod. He didn't turn the water into blood. He didn't bring a plague of frogs. He just showed up with a message from God. And Jesus, like Jonah, offers us no sign but Himself. Is Jesus enough for you? The sign was enough for Nineveh, and it should be sign enough for us. It isn't enough to be better than other people. We must repent of not being as good as God. Even the scribes and the Pharisees needed to turn from their sin and repent. Carrie paraphrases what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees in this way. Now is when your Lord is visiting you and speaking to you and you still want a sign? The Ninevites knew better. And when Jonah came as a sign among them, they believed his word and repented. But here's some good news for us, North Roanoke Baptist Church. We don't have to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. We can be like Nineveh. We don't have to miss the sign this morning. The world doesn't have to miss the sign. The sign is Christ and He's been revealed in His Word. And people day by day are hearing the Word of God preached, repenting and believing in Christ who is the heaven-sent sign and Son of God. The key to avoiding the judgment that comes to perpetual sign seekers is to stop looking for the next miracle and start beholding Christ the Savior. Entering God's rest does not come through seeking something we do not yet have, but in beholding the one that God has already given. The rest that we desire, that we long for, that we crave more than we crave signs has already been given in Christ. You see, God does not just give us Jesus as a sign like Jonah. No, He is given as one who is greater than Jonah. Verse 41 reads, literally, Behold, something greater than Jonah here. Can you imagine that scene for a moment? Jesus encountering the scribes and the Pharisees and concluding with the words, Behold, something greater than Jonah you know that prophet that you all talk about and that you believe actually happened? Because the scribes and the Pharisees believed the Scriptures. Yeah, that, that guy, something greater than Jonah here. Jesus commands us to behold Him. The word behold is a command in the text. It is a prompter of attention, urging us to look purposefully upon Christ. To consider carefully and deliberately this one who is something greater than Jonah. Jesus uses the word something rather than someone because he's not. He is not merely pointing to himself, but also to the entire work that he fulfills in himself. He's pointing to God's whole work, the sending of the Son, the decisive provision of salvation for repentant sinners in bringing in the kingdom of God. The Ninevites were confronted with Jonah. We, this morning, North Roanoke Baptist Church, through the preaching of God's Word, are being confronted with someone far greater than Jonah. We are being confronted with Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The command in the text is to behold Him. Behold something greater 
than Jonah. Would you behold Jesus with me this morning? Can we behold Him for just a moment? Jonah runs from God's will because he's afraid that God will deliver Jonah. Nineveh, rather. Jesus willingly empties Himself of divine privileges knowing He must die to deliver us. Jonah tries to escape from the face of God, which is leading him on mission to his enemies. Jesus is the face of God, leading us on mission to our enemies. Are you beholding Jesus yet? The rebellious Jonah deserved to be delivered to death. The righteous Jesus died so we could be delivered to life. Jonah puts his word against God's word, trying to convince God to change his mind. Faced with the agony of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, not my will, but God's will be done. Jonah wants to die because his enemies are spared. Jesus willingly dies so that we could be spared. Are you beholding Jesus this morning? Jonah brings salvation to a great city. Jesus brings salvation to the ends of the earth. Jonah pouts when his enemies are saved. Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit to make us children of God and part of his mission. Jonah is a sign to Nineveh. Jesus is the sign of Jonah given to us, an unbelieving generation, so that we may believe and receive everlasting life in him. The only issue that remains for some of you this morning is not that you need more evidence. It is simply that you would hear the word of God, that you would behold Christ, and that you would surrender your life to Him and finally enter into His rest and know the joy and the peace that comes that you have been delivered from God's wrath and into His mighty salvation. All of us who say we believe and yet deny Christ are the evil and adulterous generation. To recognize this is to discern what time it is. It is the time when Christ visits us and speaks His Word in our hearing, calling us to faith and repentance. And some of you this morning, Christ is calling by His Holy Spirit, come, repent, and believe. To believe this is to recognize ourselves as those to whom Christ is speaking even now. And therefore, we are the ones to whom the sign of Jonah is given. And this is very good news indeed. Because if Nineveh can repent, we too can repent. This morning, North Roanoke, I want to invite you to stop looking for signs. And start beholding Christ. Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jesus is greater than your depression. Jesus is greater than your fear. Jesus is greater than your anger. Jesus is greater than your insecurities. Jesus is greater than your past. Jesus is greater than your sickness. Jesus is greater than your bitterness. Jesus is greater than your need for approval. Jesus is greater than your selfishness. Jesus is greater than your anxieties. Jesus is greater than your regrets. Jesus is the sign of Jonah. And He is the prophet greater than Jonah. Behold the King of glory. Someone greater. Let's pray.